0: Love, talk Radio.
1: Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Trainings News and Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, John Casillo, and with me today is Sean Keeley. Hello, John. What's going on?
2: Nothing much. I'm uh I actually just finished watching uh this most recent episode of Fargo and I feel like I need to uh talk some things out or i'm going to go hide in the corner and kill myself.
1: That's fair. I have not been able to watch the show yet. I did just, oh, I did rewatch the movie about a week ago just to, to get myself reassimilated with everything.
2: Yeah, i i without spoiling too much for you or anyone else, it's good to do that, but um but they do a really cool thing as far as like tying the two things together. So I will leave it to you, and I will recommend it for everyone.
1: I think uh, I think we have quite the uh, pop culture corner growing, and uh, we discussed it like a year ago. But I think we have, think we finally have the pieces together. I know I'll be, uh, I'm going to put together a little uh, Mad Men half season recap next week. The, we are we'll slowly but surely turning. There.
2: Yeah, we we will turn from Syracuse sports to pop culture happy hour. With, within uh three three months tops.
1: Living the dream. So uh so, I guess we'll get to the main topic at hand. You now the, the the one that was really uh that was really getting to us at about seven forty five Pacific in the morning. This is from today.
0: Yeah.
2: Apologies to everybody who is obviously tuning in to, to listen to us talk about Syracuse sports. We're going to uh veer off slightly for a moment.
1: Yeah, so uh, nobody really saw these conversations between us at the end of last uh, Bachelor season, but uh, Sean was very much in the pro Andy camp in terms of in terms of what she meant for the for the existence of the show, and I actually felt like she almost burned the thing to the ground. So, so we yeah, are I, coming at this from two very different perspectives.
2: Well, what was funny is I, so you know, we're going to talk about the Bachelorette because what else? would we want to talk about right now and um uh, quick bring up point uh to catch everybody up so Andy Dorfman is the bachelorette and she was one of the I think she was like the second to last person on the bachelor last year something like that uh she's one of the <laughs> and,
1: top 3
2: yeah and so she basically like blew up the whole show by saying this is basically saying how ridiculous the entire concept is and um, calling into question the whole thing, and it was fascinating because they they not only showed it, which you would think they wouldn't but they like sided with her and um a lot of that had to do with the fact that juan Pablo was a dick, but that 's a whole other story but so I, I i actually wrote about that in i wrote that piece about Mark Cuban when he came out and he he wanted to um create a uh, a minor league system, or just say like the MB the developmental league, that if you're 18, you can join that. You can just skip college and go to that. And I wrote this article about how it was kind of like we were living in this brief moment of like the no bullshit era where we we just all decided we're not going to bullshit each other about these, you know, things like this. And then within like two weeks, this person who just like had this awesome moment of, Saying why this whole concept is ridiculous, decided she's going to be the Bachelorette, and thereby ushering in the golden era of bullshit once again. And so, uh, and so here we are.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean for me, um, you know, I, I kind of said it to you as it happened. Was was Andy being that Andy could have torn the show down by itself, and then by her being the Bachelorette. Her and Juan Pablo immediately switched roles, and Juan Pablo became, you know, fighting the man, and she automatically became the man. And every all the progress that might have been made by her standing up to the show was torn down immediately by her accepting a role into the very institution she tore apart. While Juan Pablo has actually become the most anti-establishment member of the Bachelor family, I think we've ever seen. He became kind of everything that that. Um, Andy was supposed to be, and I know in that, like, joking back and forth you and I had afterwards, I kind of compared him to uh, to Katniss in, in the Hunger Games <laughs> as sort of the guy who just decided that he, he would stop just short of just, you know, shooting the arrow through the dome and just letting the whole thing burn.
2: Yeah, he he did. He just basically decided, like, that's it, I'm out, and I'm not playing this game anymore. <laughs> Well, but understandably, because what was really what I will give the Bachelor people credit for, as much as I don't like to give them credit for anything, uh, is that they saw all of this coming and they rode the wave. So they were smart enough to turn him into the villain when they needed to and, you know, side with her. Because tr- I think traditionally they might have tried to stick to their story and stick to the thing, but they were, by, like, flipping it, they were kind of like, it was almost like they were saying, you know, I, they were just kind of like absolving themselves, I thought. And I thought that's what they were really smart about. Um, and so, and that somehow made it okay for her to become the Bachelorette. And if you watch the Bachelorette, uh, the premiere this week, they don't show her and Wamp- that whole thing with Juan Pablo at all. They don't show her denigrating the show or the concept or talking about how it's all bullshit. They go right into just their generic it's like it's almost like they've they've her and the show have gone full circle back to where it started where it's it's this pure innocent uh idea again of, to to find true love and they've like completely pulled like this this one eighty and they and now they're just not going to acknowledge the fact that the entire thing got blown up, which again is you know they are I will give them. Uh, credit, unfortunately, for for doing that.
1: Yeah, it's one of those. Again, I just keep coming back to the, uh, the the Hunger Games comparisons. You know, for for those who've seen the second movie, which I assume most have, um, you know, somebody who really had an opportunity to tear down the entire institution is kind of paraded around as as everything that's great about the institution. And you know, here we are, <laughs> like as Sean said, we we completely bury all all of the uh all of the things she said bad about the show. I'm sure money does that. Um and then we just kinda let her parade around like nothing's wrong. Um and again some of this will be rehashing conversation that Sean and I were having between the two of us early this morning. Um I, what I love the most is the is the catching bad guys montage and and this this continuous narrative that, that Andy is, is this, you know, like highly successful, like, long-tenured lawyer, when in reality she's, like, 26 years old, and not to take anything away from her, she put in plenty of work, but at the same time, you're 26 years old, you're you you you're at most a year out from, not even a year out, from passing the bar. You know, like, it, yeah, it's not as if you sure. have this, like, very long and, like, successful career. You're giving up a career that you've spent most of it on reality television shows.
2: Which and I was reading something today, like that somebody was saying, you know, the the shooting schedule for this show is like a month. So, you know, she wouldn't, she technically doesn't have to give up this job. I mean, I know she she also, you know, was on the last cycle for the for that show. So it's been a couple months, but um, you know, she didn't have to. She probably could have worked something out. Um but that, that's always one of my favorite things, not just about The Bachelor, but just the reality shows in general where they, you know, your job is such a specific thing. And yet, um, you know, it's actually the job is usually made up or kind of like your old job before you move to L.A. to become an actor. And, you know, half the people on the show are saying they're one thing, but not really. And uh, so, yeah, the montage was great because she uh, she puts away the bad guys. And uh, we won't get into the fact that the bad guys were either on purpose or subconsciously uh, minorities, but we'll let that slide, uh, given the the bachelor, bachelorette history of dealing with minorities. Um, but, uh, Markel, yeah, so she gives Markel's that up.
1: Through. Well, Markel managed I to mean, get himself through the second Yeah, secretary.
2: but, but the, there's always. I, I would say if you go back the last like five six seasons of Bachelor Bachelorette, you will see tokenism. that the minorities always get through the first round.
1: Fair. And, I, I uh, actually agree
2: with you there.
1: What's that? I what I actually agree with you there, and, and I, it's, yeah. it's almost entirely tokenism.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There there's definitely been seasons in the past where you there was no chemistry at all. But they send them through because of because uh, the the show has basically been been sued for for not the uh, not giving opportunities to minorities. But so that's just one of the the many wonderful things that um, that you know then that, that comes up on the show as she's introduced to to all of these generic uh, guys, I guess.
1: Things, bros uh, mostly. Bros. It, it's, it's gotten to bros, it's like, and and I said this this morning, too. This is, like, the first season where most of the people there are, like, my age or so, and for me, like, looking there and just seeing, like, oh, you're, like, the exact stereotype that people who hate my, people my age point to. Like, the are the two SoCal guys who just, like, throw it out on the couch for upwards of an hour and a half.
0: hmm
1: I did feel like last night, because it was shortened... To an hour and a half episode, and half an hour was reintroducing Andy when we all knew her already, and the other half hour was, was taken to throwing Creepy Chris out, we really didn't get the same sense of who these guys are that we normally do. I mean, like last year, no, I think, I think last year was like three hours for a premiere, and this year it was half Well, hour. I was going to say...
2: I felt like we were missing a lot of montages of guys doing stuff shirtless and like running places. Dude, I feel like we yeah, missed out on a lot better. of that. Yeah, like there should have been well,
1: at just least, like, like, five like those intro Maddie's montages. Road. True, I, yeah, I think yeah, there it was, it was, was a lot, lot of it. Atten- no, like the, the one guy who like pushed, who pretended to push the car up the road, the guy who gave her the lamp, like all this other stuff. that, like we actually usually delve into a lot more. I just feel like Chris is kind of Chris Harrison's kind of mailing it in on the production.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, uh, I think we do have to talk about this whole, um, what's his name? The other, is it Chris? The other guy who just shows up quote unquote yeah, just yeah. shows up yeah.
1: creepy. Yeah. Creepy Chris, who, the, uh, creepy a
2: Chris who, uh, who is from a previous season and bachelor pad who shows up uh, claiming to have been sleeping in the hills for seven days, uh, despite the fact that he has a very fresh bouquet of red roses with him uh, that seems to keep very well. Must be some GMO roses or something. And and I just love, like, I think you're right about Chris, like Chris the host phoning it in because he didn't even, like, BS her when, He goes up, normally, if if that was an actual situation that was happening, he would be like, get out of here, you nut. But he actually goes to her and asks her if this lunatic is allowed to join the show. And it's just like, it's so, like, Chris, you're not even trying to make this seem like it's actually real. And so... Like and by by doing that, basically saying like we are we want you to say yes to the, like he can pretend that he wanted to say no the whole time, but he wanted her to say yes. Bring this lunatic in.
1: Well, yeah, I think like I mean, I don't I don't see and I mean again we didn't dive into these guys histories as much, so I feel like you can pinpoint the lunatics pretty quick. And I didn't get a ton of lunatic, and I, maybe Chris didn't either when he, he casted these guys, and that's why he uh, he decided to kind of, you know, bring in, like, a little bit of chaos. Um, I, I've, I have I seen a couple of rumors around that, that Creepy Chris was put up to this by Chris Harrison. Maybe because he didn't have enough good footage? I don't really know. It, it just seems like a really wacky... Like, I think... Chris Harrison, as as impartial judge and host, has really changed a lot since his divorce. Um, to, to really be like more of a Seacrest type, in, in the fact that he's he seems incredibly involved and and very much aware of the marketing opportunity that's in front of him. Um, I know that Chris Harrison was interviewed like a year ago, and he said that he would absolutely entertain the idea of dating um, a member of the Bachelor family, which to me was was. A, a a real change in, in demeanor and really took him out of the game in terms of, okay, like, you're the guy that narrates us through. And this was I think like right around I think like right after Bachelor Pad was cancelled. Like, you suddenly saw the show kind of turn on a dime and stop stop playing around with its concept. And this was this was a show solely to watch people embarrass themselves, hook up, try to get laid and mostly fail. Um and I think now like maybe he's trying to to walk everything back, but I don't think it's working. Yeah. And,
2: and I I think, I mean, it's so hard to tell whether or not they've got lunatics or not because, because it's just the editing. I mean, they, they go out of their way to edit these things just and create characters from whatever's there. I mean, there's so many examples of that. So it could just be that they wanted crazy Chris to stand out and kind of mute everybody else. And then, because I've seen that before, where there's a guy who, or a girl who seems pretty normal for like three episodes, and then all of a sudden, because the other crazy person went home, they need a new crazy person, and all of a sudden that person's the crazy person. So I, I, I'm sure that they will find a way to create that. Uh, and they kind of laid the hints with the the creepy, uh, those like guys who said they were like better than everybody, and uh, and, and a couple other guys in there kind of gave off the the I'm sure they'll figure it out.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, what I was... The one thing I will give them is I think they dealt with um, the the death of Eric really well um, in that opening part. I think dealing with it and putting it out there and, you know, stop messing around with, like, you know, let the first thing people see of him be, be you know, the fact that he obviously stuck around for a while on this show and really did make an impact. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that. I mean, if the show is really about finding, you know, the person you're supposed to be with, it's unfortunate to see somebody who looked like they had some promise. I mean, he he definitely was one of the people that stood out to me in, in the beginning, with, with the uh, with, with the dolls. Uh, that definitely seemed like a very a very smart and very interesting move, and he seems like a nice guy. Uh, and it's a shame that uh, that he had to pass away before the show. Yeah, you know, I, I was
2: going to comment that. You know, occupations on this show are – the. there's a lot oh, okay. of laughable stuff with – you know, like I've, I think even on this one there's a guy who's a pants or something like that. Yes. And, uh And there was a tele, yeah, telecommunication marketer, which is like the vaguest title ever. <laughs> and, and so his – Eric's occupation was Explorer. And like on paper you're like, oh, come on. But then when you actually saw – him talking about it and you see what he was doing and all of that it was like the rare instance where the the weird occupation actually backed up well you know was backed up by by the stuff and i didn't know too much about um his story I actually when we were watching it my wife had to remind me like what happened to him because i didn't remember and i actually if i didn't know that if i didn't know what happens or anything i would he would have been my pick uh, just thought, like the first impression, he would have gotten my first impression, Rose, uh, <laughs> as the viewer. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's a shame. He seems like a cool dude, and you you don't get to say that too often about contestants on The Bachelorette.
1: Yeah, and I guess that that's the bummer here is that you know we're kind of we're looking at someone who obviously doesn't win but definitely might have posed the best um, case to to make this show about this. But, you know, at the same time, like, people have gone over this on the show. The the show isn't normal circumstances, and I think guys or girls, um, you're put in this situation which is just so not natural. Um, People are going to act crazy, even normal people. Um, It's funny, like, when they always do the After the Final Rose nonsense, and, and you see, like some of the crazies, like remain crazy because they've been told to like fit an archetype. And when, when Bachelor Pad was a thing, and now Bachelor in Paradise is a thing again, like you know, those people are told to continue acting crazy because that that is going to get you on to the next round of, of the Bachelor family. But then right. you see some of these people that just like are written off as crazy, but in reality, like it just they they collapse under some of the stress. Of like what is a ridiculous situation,
2: and there's booze involved. Don't forget that.
1: Although last night, I think most of the guys were drinking coffee. I think they were. They, well, it was just that w- that morning. one
2: guy who got booted. True. I, yeah, that one but guy think, who kind of like went off.
1: But I think you play it smart. I think you play it smart there because apparently, like some of these things go to like three or four in the morning. Like, I think you play it smart and I think you, you caffeinate and, and try not to seem mopey. Is, I mean, at that time of the morning, like, most of us are going to be tired and you have to make sure the tire doesn't come off as mopey, you know? Especially when you're, like, barely knowing somebody and, and looking for, you know, a, a golden ticket to the next round, so to speak, on on very little information.
2: And you're in a room full of people with cameras trained on you and then people behind those cameras who are just, like, looking and, we well, you know, studying you for any flaw. So I'm sure you've got that to contend with as well.
1: I'd, I'd so be gone in, in, in the, first, the first day. So I'd, I'd, oh, I'd yeah, say I would not. <laughs> I just start being an yeah, asshole I, to certain people.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd be one of the guys who just sits on the couch the whole time and then walks out and says, ah, if I only could have spoken to her. She would have. I would. Have, what am I going to do now?
1: Uh. I, I would have taken one of two. I would have either been the guy who just like didn't get along with the other guys in the house right away, or the guy who pissed off the other guys in the house because I was taking off because I was stealing her away so I could get a like ten minutes to talk with her. Also, considering how long these like things go, like three or four hours, how does? How is it that not every guy
0: gets, like, ten minutes to talk to her? Yeah,
2: I'm not quite sure about that. I've, I've never quite understood how you can't get... Like, how is it that... Like, even... You would imagine, like, even she would be like, all right, who haven't I talked to yet? I want to talk to you. Like, let's go, five minutes. It, it does seem weird that uh, that not everyone... I mean, you really have to be sitting on the sidelines to... Not at least have like a five minute quick combo at at some point.
1: Well, it seems like on the show at least that it, it seems that they try to reinforce as much in terms of gender roles as possible. So like, you know, the, if it's a female, that's the She's never going to, she's never going to confront a guy to talk to her. She's always going to wait for them to talk for them to come up to her. And I think at least in the beginnings of The Bachelor the first, like, few episodes, anyway. You know, he's kind of approaching the girls that he wants to talk to, and then that kind of breeds a certain competitiveness that then leaves everybody kind of jumping all over him.
2: Uh, There's a a super creepy... Well, maybe I shouldn't say creepy. I'll get myself in trouble for saying creepy. But there's a super, like, old-school tradition values thing permeating this show, which is so weird and has been discussed to death. But just the idea that this show, which is, you know, about, uh, you know, putting yourself up in front of however many people and dating them all at the same time and making out with them and whittling them down so you can have sex with a couple of them and then decide which one you want to marry. Like that concept is also like caked in hardcore traditional values and like gender roles and all this stuff and it's just so like that's that's the part to me that's always so weird when it's like all of these people talking about like constantly you know reinforcing like family's so important and i want to have kids right away and we ha- like getting married is what it's all about and like you know and, and and you're right like they like usually it ends up that the woman in either role moves to where the man is and uh and then there's like you know and then there's so many other examples of it that uh what I guess might well i what would have been interesting about her is the fact that because she has this like high powered uh job where you know in theory you know she she would be the the working person, and it would be all about going back to where she's from and all that stuff. It seems like that's now out the window and and it is like somebody was saying how. Uh, you know, she quit her job to be on this show, but none of those guys probably quit their jobs to be on this show. And so, like, just the the idea of what what is at stake for for each person on on each side of the of the gender line. But that that's all part of the weird, awkward fun of the, of watching this show. Of just like getting mad at it, while also like just being fascinated by how these people are
1: acting. Oh yeah i mean this the show does- it, it suspends reality to almost a comical standpoint um for oh my some. God, yeah. then, but, but but then at other points, it seems like it is it is very much rooted in realism <laughs> like there's just um it really depends on the people I think that as they whittle it down is that how much of a realist versus how much of an idealist they are i, I mean and then there's also just you can look at the different. You know, cases over the years of people that have worked out and people that haven't, and you know, there's there's people like you know Allie, who far and away is is rated the you know favorite, probably contestant the show's ever seen. Um, and then you know she quit a what seemed like a lucrative like marketing job at Facebook for what is now much more lucrative job as like um, a reporter on E. So I, I think a lot of people now are
2: also viewing that as like, oh well, this, well this is a career path for me. Oh, absolutely.
1: I mean, that's yeah,
2: that's the trajectory. a like, couple only years one ago. Well, I mean, you look. I was just about to say when uh, Sean was the Bachelor a couple times ago. Um, he, I, I distinctly remember when he won, and he's sitting there at the well. He won, of course, he won. Uh, he's with uh, you know the the woman he chose and they they were engaged and all that stuff and the whole time he had been talking about how they were going to go back to texas i think he was from and they asked him chris asked him like whoa so are you guys heading back to texas and he's like ah and they got real coy about like their what their plans were and it basically can't you know you could basically put two and two together like oh they're going to stay in los angeles and he's going to be a celebrity now and that's that's kind of like like, that's, I'm sure, what drove Juan Pablo. Like, he didn't give a shit about the show and finding love and all that stuff. He wanted to be a celebrity. And, you know, fair enough. That's that's the, you, you're not on a reality TV show to not be seen. So, uh, I get it. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, like you were saying, how it's this balance of, um, uh, oh, how did you put it, between, like, being idealistic and also being yeah but it's almost like half of both like it's it's this weird thing of like being like you might say you're realistic about how a person is but all they really need to do is like do this one thing for you and then you're like oh they're totally committed because he showed up for a date on time like oh he's a committed guy or like you know because she uh cried oh she's such a sweet vulnerable person like the, like even when they're like realists they have to make these crazy leaps to justify their what they think each person is and and to you know to do it over what is basically like a month
1: or whatever it is six weeks um yeah it's insane well you think though so. isn't i mean you mentioned a couple of those little things that aren't isn't the entire concept of like relationships, at least at the beginning, like a lot of those snap judgments. Like, strangely, I think this oh is totally. Where it is isn't it? like did he show up on time? Did he open the door? <laughs> like did he offer to pay? Well, in this case, not offer to pay because ABC pays for it all. But <laughs> like
0: <you>
2: know, <laughs> but, but, oh no, oh that's one of my favorites. When they're like oh my god, he set up this amazing date for us, and it's like uh, you know getting in a plane and flying to Vegas. I'm Like no, nope, he didn't. Do, he didn't do that.
1: What I love is that, like, I think that's why most of these relationships fail is, is you get too used to flying to Egypt today and, you know, <laughs> taking an entire four-day weekend somewhere. Like, then you forget that, like, there's actually, like, money that needs to be made to do those things.
2: Or you just, you know, you're, I mean, think about, the like, you're saying how, you know, real relationships, there's a level of that, and, and there is. But it's like this is like that times 10 because it, you're seeing the first date version of a person on tv like with cameras around so think about how like fake and like polished up you are in that what that version of you is and that's what you're using to decide if this person is a a, a mate for life
1: it's true although admittedly i'd say a lot of people are probably if you put a camera on a lot of people in the way that they tried to present themselves on a first date, I don't think you'd see much of a difference in the way people at least attempted to react. They might be more cautious of zero slip-ups um, on TV. <laughs> but, but, but I think you would see, I mean, I'm sure on your first date with your wife, just like my first date with my wife, like you're a nervous wreck, Whether like whether you're composed on the outside or not.
2: Oh, absolutely. It's uh, I thank God there weren't cameras there. I was uh, <laughs> I, I can't even imagine how dumb I looked. Still look.
1: Walking to Fagan's in the snow.
2: <laughs> oh, man. If, if I met my wife uh, at Syracuse, there's no way she would have married me. Ugh.
1: We didn't meet until late sophomore was... year, so I got that whole freshman year. Guy nonsense. You got that out, out of, of
2: your head. belt? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, senior year w- was my downfall. Uh, I was in, I was, I was not in Marion shape that year.
1: <laughs> no, we, uh, she, I mean, she, she could hack when we were when we were in college. We, we would definitely, I mean, everything we did at the end of senior year was pretty much just drink, and she was right there with me and, and my roommates. So, no judgment here.
2: No, you got to keep her there. I do. So uh so as far so, as this Bachelorette season, uh do we have any uh I know obviously the winner is out there, uh, but I'm doing my best not to check. Do we have any uh favorites or do you have somebody you're putting your money down on?
1: You know, this is one of the first times like I don't have like a, a clear a like, clear favorite at the beginning. Um I toss in like Either Marcus or Chris. I mean, Josh seems like she impressed there. One of the Josh's, the baseball player, Josh.
2: Did you know who his brother is? No. Aaron Murray, the
1: oh, Georgia quarterback. I saw Aaron Murray tweet about that. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's definitely going to the bar.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's got his the. Pedigree. favorite movie
1: is Wedding Crashers. Win this guy. Was it? Oof. That's a you, Mary. This is this is good. Uh oh, the other <laughs> two favorite movies are Gladiator and Troy.
2: He's got a, a motif. He likes to put on sandals. I guess.
1: Greatest achievement: being drafted in the second round, forty-eighth overall in two thousand twelve Major League Baseball draft.
2: Yeah, I meant to look into that. What is his? Uh, what is his baseball history?
1: Uh, he was drafted in the second round by somebody, and it says he's 29, and it says former.
2: Right. Well, uh, I assume he just bounced around the minor well, yeah, leagues so, or
1: something. I mean, I would think if he flamed out of the minor leagues, then why is that your greatest accomplishment? I mean, you'd have to done something. Uh, yeah.
2: I'm with, no, I'm looking he right got, now. He was he was minor leagues all the way.
1: Who did he get picked by? Oh,
2: he was uh, picked by the Brewers in 2002, and he bounced around the minor leagues till about 2007, and then he called it quits. Yeah, I don't blame him.
1: But I want to know, you is, there a, it, is huh? there a tattoo stat on all of these, uh, all these bachelor cards? What are we? Seems like they have, a, <laughs> they have a tattoo. They do. They have a tattoo stat for every one of them. Also, a city or country person. Just in case. I feel like I want these to be trading cards.
2: I'm kind of surprised there aren't trading
1: cards. (laughs) Well, no, but you know what? Like, that's kind of a guy thing.
2: Yeah, I guess so. But then again, here we are, two guys, talking about The Bachelorette.
1: Mostly because we were originally forced to watch the show, though.
2: That's true. Well... I was forced to, and then at a certain point I had to admit that I was enjoying it. And it no, was a, absolutely. it was a tough day.
1: That's the problem. I mean, well, what I what I did was when I was writing about the shows, and actually, like, because I am in PR, so it's, it's a mostly, like, things like 75% female industry. So it became, like, a running joke because I would have this blog, and, like, people, it would be, I was sick and tired of hearing about this stuff in the office every morning, like, every Tuesday morning, I'd come in, and I'd have to hear about it for an hour.
0: <laughs> so,
1: when I was, since it would be on in my house anyway, I was like, you know what? Like, screw it. Like, I just started writing, like, these comical, like, recaps about it. And then suddenly, like, people started reading them. Like, everybody in my office, everybody at my wife's office. Like, her mom reads a blog. <laughs> so, it got to, like, this point where, I'm, like, I stopped doing it after. like Like, I care too much. I when you're invested too much in like a in a satirical blog, like that's when it gets. That's when it starts to get almost like it it, it defeats the original purpose. I know like I know Drew over Deadspin like that's what he stopped doing like the uh, the Peter King, um, like spoofs a couple of years ago. Because he said yeah. like at some point you start getting too invested in in like haters guys and mocking and you stop. You can only hate from the outside. When you're hating from the inside, and then you're just bitter.
2: Right. Let's see. Don't mind me on this podcast. I'm perusing the Bachelor site. Um, so I'm just going to do some quick hits here. Uh, Chris the Farmer, no-go because he has no upper lip. I think he's out for that. Uh, JJ the pants Pantsapreneur, no, not happening. Uh, I agree with you on Josh. I think Josh is going to go pretty far on this one. I honestly would have said Eric. Would, I, he would have been my early favorite to win it, but we know he doesn't. Um, Tassos? No. Yeah, uh,
1: I uh, I don't know. The wedding planner thing is, is, is interesting.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if he... I think she's... I feel like she's... Uh, she She's into the, the beefy guys I, uh, I'm I'm thinking she's She's looking for uh, Something looking a bit a more mannish. Yeah, she's I think so looking for a
1: bro, so this is a perfect season for her <laughs> because Yeah Everybody on here is a bro uh,
2: Oh, Andrew, the auto racing enthusiast I'll put him up there
1: too <laughs> Yeah, I knew a lot of those growing up on my island They were the guys hanging around the wall <laughs> down the parking lot At like 1 a.m.
2: Yeah, that, that's a winner Let's see. Oh, here we go. No, so, Co- Co- Cody
1: is Cody's the guy, the guy for her, like meathead Macklemore. Cody, where he's just—he's like
2: every. I feel like every season with the guy, when it's guys, there's like a guy, there's a Cody that gets through. Where like that, it just doesn't make any sense. It just defies because obviously he's not going to make it, and he's like too far down the testosterone spectrum to he, and there was that other guy last time who was kind of like that too he was like a real bodybuilder kind of guy where he made it like way farther than he probably should have and it was very obvious he wasn't going to win uh but i'm always surprised because i feel like that choices like that always feel a little like transparent to me because i'm sure and i'm sure somebody has documented this somewhere but i'm sure when it comes time for her to choose the initial group uh, she powwows with producers, and they have their own picks. Like, hey, why don't you let this guy slide through because uh, we we think he'll add some drama, or so, you know, or we we want him to be the bad guy or whatever. And I'm you know I'm sure that stuff happens, but uh, sometimes I feel like it's a little too like obvious.
1: It reminds me of the uh, when, when you said like the producers, remind me of the uh, that episode of Always Sunny. Um the gang breaks D when uh, when Dennis shows up with his selects and he's got these, like, awful mug shots that he's, like, giving D. So, like, these, like, terrible-looking guys because he just wants, like, her off his hands. And everyone has, like, this, like, goofy subplot. And just... For some reason, I just pictured Dennis, like, walking into the room and handing Andy, like, a picture, like, a couple, like, awful, like, Kodak photos. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, there's quite a few guys in there who I think carry headshots around with them.
1: I'm reading Cody's bio, so let's see. Willy Wonka and the Trumpet Factory is his favorite movie.
2: Which one, though?
1: Well, that's it would have to be the original, because the other one was Charlie and the Trompet Factory, wasn't it?
2: Ah, you're right. You're right. Okay, so that's case, actually, he's
1: actually good. good taste. Yeah, he's good. Taste. Yeah. Wild there. And that film is fantastic. And Rudy, which is such a stereotypical meathead movie. Um, And then Goodwill Hunting, which I actually think is starting to drift into meathead territory. It's like, yeah, yeah. That went on at the end. The girls think
2: I... Yeah, it crossed over into that. It's like, like Shawshank Redemption, unfortunately crossed over into that realm where it's like, where everybody started saying Shawshank Redemption was their favorite movie and started quoting it uh, non-ironically. And I think Goodwill Hunting's over on that side too now. So yeah, that's not a good sign.
1: Yeah, it's like, hey, look, hey, you know I'm thoughtful. Like, check me out. I know how to think, so <laughs> you should definitely <laughs> keep me around. Because like, get Goodwill Hunting. And then he probably just walked up she to should, her like, watch. He walked up to her later. It's not your fault. It's not your
2: fault. <laughs> when she sends him home. Probably. She should just put up a, a blackboard in the house and just put an equation on it, and just just in case.
1: Just in case, maybe he's Rain Man.
2: Oh, yeah. So, uh, so do you think? Just so, like everyone doesn't hate us, should we talk about something Syracusey?
1: Sure. There's actually plenty of Syracusey things to talk about. Well, not really, but All right. like off the off the field of play Syracusey things. Yeah. So Mike Hopkins wants a job and. As I said in the comments today, put yourself in his shoes in the real world. Like, yeah. And, like, if if you're told at an unspecified date in the future, you're going to be the vice president, but you don't know when. And your com- and your competitor company comes to you and says, we want to make you the vice president right now, plus the pay raise. And you think to yourself, like, okay, you have to weigh out those pros and cons, and, like, it's foolish to think that Mike Hopkins isn't doing the same thing. And every single year that Jim says, yeah, you know, I'll get around to it. And every single year he doesn't get around to it. He's still here. Um, I I think it makes Mike more antsy. And to be honest, I, I, I don't blame him.
2: Could you? Absolutely not. Um, you know, I, when I wrote my thing to the this year's class of graduates at Syracuse, I, one of the first things I said was always look out for yourself. Um, doesn't mean you have to be a jerk about it, but always look out for yourself. Um, Mike Hopkins has it. I don't know if he has it in writing or not, um, you know, that he's the next coach. But, uh, and wh- whereas my opinion of Daryl Gross has gotten much better over the years, always remember he promised Paul Pasqualoni that he would keep his job. Well, didn't promise it. It was promised, and then Daryl Gross came in and said, nope, you're out, uh, because that's how business works. And um, you know, I, 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 and I don't. I think something people forget is Mike Hopkins has been here for 20 years, and that doesn't count when he was a player. So 20 years. Um, a certain somebody in the comments likes to remind us to, that Hopkins should be patient. <laughs> he's been patient for 20 years. So if the dude wants a promotion and he's not getting a promotion here, he's allowed to go get it and uh, and support his family and do whatever he needs to do to feel like he's accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. So, yeah, I, I think we're beyond the point of pretending that Hopkins is just putting feelers out there. Uh, he's most certainly looking for a head coaching job, um, which, I mean, depending on how you feel about Jim Beheim, probably should either make you feel really good or really bad, because it may imply that Jim Beheim is sticking around a little bit longer than you think he is. Uh, if Hopkins is so sure he's going to get out. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't mind it. The only thing that, that kind of annoys me is this thing that pops up whenever it seems like Hopkins might leap where people are like, great, Jerry McNamara can be the coach-in-waiting now. And I just want to, like, grab those people by the collar and be like, what are you talking about? This dude who's been – like, this assistant coach who's been an assistant coach for about four years now, if that – who has, as far as I know, has no major recruiting experience, has no experience as a head coach, uh, is just getting his feet wet as an assistant coach, and you want to hand him the keys to the Syracuse Kingdom? You are an insane person.
1: Well, this goes back to our problem that we talked about after you know Marone left. Is that Beheim's lulled us into this stupid sense of you know we keep our guys and our guys. Our guys are different than everybody else's guys, and they stick around for forty he years. years. And like, I mean, I love Jerry. Already, this a player, but if Jerry yes. is, yes, but if Jerry is the main, like, if Jerry's main responsibility right now is making Trevor Cooney not a head case, he's not doing a great job of that. <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I actually would would ask those people why are you so quick to leapfrog Adrian Autry, who has way more experience, way more recruiting ties, has proven oh, himself a good recruiter. He's yeah, like, he's got everything. Um, not that I'm saying Adrian Autry should be named coach in waiting if Hopkins leaves, but uh, I just find that a little strange that people automatically leapfrog him uh, in that discussion. Not that it's a lot of people. I'm talking about a few. Uh, of the usual suspects but um, but yeah I have no problem with Hopkins looking I I think he can do better than Oregon State I think that was a blessing for him that he didn't get that job so um, and and remember you know also something for people not to forget is if not for a crazy miraculous run last year he would be the head coach at USC right now he would already be gone so uh, you know Root for the guy and be happy that he's here, but root for him, where, whatever he does.
1: Yeah, when you think about it. I mean, Andy Enfield might actually be one of the greatest uh, figures in Syracuse sports over the last five years. Not only did Absolutely. He keep Hopkins, not only did he keep Hopkins at Syracuse, but he dealt Georgetown the most satisfyingly embarrassing loss.
2: And gave us I've the greatest animated GIF of all time.
1: I actually I haven't seen that GIF in a few weeks, which is shocking because there's always someone that just swoops in and go yeah. with it.
2: And I know that we all decided that it's pronounced GIF, but I'm it's GIF. I don't care. I'm calling it a GIF.
1: I I I will go with GIF every time. Yeah. Now so what I find funny about like our overall coaching is you know what, like we don't no one ever thinks – like, you never hear Syracuse fans talk about anybody outside of the program. Like, in an off season that just saw, like, you know, the Big East, like, hemorrhage coaches, I mean, like, Marquette lost its coach. Marquette lost its coach from yeah. Virginia Tech. So, so yeah. we are in a world in which Syracuse is one of the premier programs in the ACC – can conceivably grab whoever we want if if Bayheim leaves under under non suspicious circumstances. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, um, I, I, and I think the problem is we we also forget what an anomaly Bayheim is for you know the Bayheim and Coach K, and that is really it, and there is no other. Coach out there who is going to spend thirty years at the school? There's no like nobody. Like maybe Tom Izzo will. Maybe Tom Izzo. That that that's really it. It is a rare thing to find a coach willing to stick around. Because by all accounts, you would as, you would just assume at some point, Beheim would be like, "Well, I want to try my hand at the next level. Let's see if I can win in the pros." Or you know, I've done everything I can do at Syracuse. Let me see what I can go do at UCLA. You know, I I mean, and you know opportunities have come up for him, and, and he's passed them over. And that's just not how most coaches are going to work. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a, a tough process for Syracuse fans because, um, you know, like you alluded to, we, we're very used to, especially now with Marone and, coming back where we we've be, kind of become a little michigan-y where we're like we want syracuse men to run our programs and um you know we've we've, pre- we've pretended that schaefer is one of us because he was the coordinator for four years um but uh it's it's a way overblown thing like anybody who would say um when bayheim retires i want jerry mcnamara to become the head coach over like i don't know um you know, some really great up-and-coming head coach from, uh, you know, uh, a program in the in one of the second-tier conferences who's won like Shock six conference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Shock is smart. So, if you're telling me you'd rather have Jerry McNamara because he was a really good player and you like him, that, that's crazy talk. Well,
1: I mean, I I don't even want to project out. <laughs> two, three, however many years until they retired, I mean, at the site, we're gonna have to, to strap in with five seatbelts <laughs> because the comment section is gonna be
2: oh my god, pretty much
1: just on fire for a month and a half.
2: And I mean, you mean you see when it when it happens at other schools, how quickly everybody starts throwing names out there, and half the times those names are totally made up and. Uh, you know, and how those things change on a dime and all of that, and so I'm not looking forward to that process at all.
1: No, and since we haven't gone through it, you know, the other, with the schools, like like UCLA, at least they're like, okay, we've done this before, here are some names. Yeah. here's what sounds realistic. For us, like, I mean, you said Coach K and Bayheim are kind of like in a class of their own, to a point I agree, but at the same time, like, K went some was somewhere else to get to do, like, Bayheim Oh, no, you're in a class right. You're right. Yeah, no, you're
2: absolutely right. Yeah, you're talking about a guy. Yeah, you're talking about a guy who went to school there, became an assistant, became the head coach, and stayed at that school for thirty plus years. Um, Yeah, yeah, you're right. Not even Coach K, you know, can say he did that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, just it's going to be really hard to temper those expectations. And uh, and so it, it'll be a fascinating process because just thinking about a Syracuse basketball game in the Dome without Jim Beheim there just feels so weird.
0: Well, it
1: feels weird and it also feels like at no point in Beheim's tenure did you ever think, eh, you know, if we don't really do that well this year, Jim's getting fired. And Although I mean, I would- to, have, to, to not have a sacred cow, like, on the sidelines, basically... Like, it will yeah. be weird to think, oh, it's like if we underperform two or three years, like, you know, like, Syracuse is already struggling to find its place in the, like, upper echelon of college basketball. Like, where do we sit? Are we top six? Are we top ten? If you're a troll, like <laughs> someone last week, you're not even top right. 15 or 20.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, you, I, you're right because uh, – I, I think probably the last time there was legitimate talk of, of getting rid of Beheim was probably like the early 90s when that uh, those violations came out. And since then, I mean, other than your usual suspects of, you know, people just get being bitter and short-sighted and all that stuff, it's, it's really never been a realistic thing. So, yeah, it's a, if Syracuse – well, I mean, there's just so many things. I mean, let's get into the fact that Syracuse hasn't had a losing season since – Boeheim has been there. Um, I mean, almost, except for, like, three years, we've won 20 games every year. What happens when Syracuse goes 13 and 17 one year? Like, I can't even wrap my head around that.
1: The season at UNC went 8 and 20, like, less than a decade ago. And, I mean, everyone considers UNC a class above us.
2: Yeah, I mean, Duke's had years like that. Maybe not that bad, but they've had like weird rough patches. UConn has gone through that. Georgetown's gone through that. You know, Syracuse has pretty much never gone through. You know, we had the two years we went to the NIT. That was our horrible um, existence. You know, like that was like the worst thing that could possibly happen. We still went to the NIT, and, and so I I don't know how this fan base would handle a losing season.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we're we're closing in on like, I mean, if if it takes another fifteen years, and I hope it takes forever, but if it takes another fifteen years, I mean, we're looking at a, a future in which there would be very few members of the fan base left who were alive, or at least remember, would like to remember the last losing season, which I guess yeah. creates kind of creates a bit of an issue because. It's not that you're spoiled by success, but at the same time, it's almost you don't know how to experience
2: failure. Yeah, I mean, I, let's say it's that new coach's first season or second season. Um, I mean, yeah, how do you temper those expectations of what you know Syracuse basketball to be versus what you're trying to accomplish? Uh, yeah, I'm looking now at what our last losing season was as a program, and it was... 1970. We, we we didn't even have a losing season. We went 12 and 12. 1969. We went nine and 16. So you have to go back to the 60s for the last time Syracuse had a losing record.
1: I'm honestly i I would say less than five percent of the fan base was like conscious enough to remember that. Like the current fan base.
2: Yeah, I mean. Yeah, paying attention, or you know, could remember exactly what was what the program was like then.
1: Yeah, this is a, uh, and it's going to be a terrifying day, and and I mean I've said it before. The only thing that could stop it from being that is if I, I've actually I've said this probably since like two thousand eight that if Bayhime wins during this like golden era of SU basketball, it seems that. He doesn't need a goodbye tour. He'll just call it quits um, after if he wins it all, and that'll be it. And and I think if he goes out like that, I think that's the only way that we kind of gloss over that rough patch.
2: Which uh, which rough patch do you mean?
1: Well, like the rough patch after. Like if Bayheim left because either too many first-round flameouts or we suddenly had some shooting oh, yeah. violations then then obviously all hell's going to break loose. But if Beheim retires immediately after winning his second national championship in the midst of what is now like a five-year extended period of real, like, excellence overall, like, I, I just don't see the same, you know, flamethrower-type reaction from everyone. I actually see more of a, Jim went out on his own terms, he went out when he was supposed to, and he gave us exactly what we wanted, like, like no matter what happens from here, like I'm happy, and I could actually see that going fairly well.
2: Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, there's always going to be the he only won two national titles. Like, they'll you know the, those people will always be there. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm very hopeful that Syracuse can at the very least get back to a, another Final Four with him, and, and to win another title would just be you know perfect. So, but you know, doesn't always work out that way. But, uh, yeah, the future is weird and f- scary for Syracuse basketball.
1: It is. But football... And then again, the it's, hand, it's yeah, True. Depends on who comes in. But, I guess, like, what do we really know? I mean, yeah. you know, who would have... Like, no one would have guessed that, that Kevin Alley could could take over a Calvin program that looked like it was going to be mired in, like, absolute, like, mediocrity and you know, get them to Final Four they didn't deserve to be in and a national championship game they didn't deserve to be in <laughs> and, and win it all. Like, these things just happen. Yeah. We, they don't happen to us, but exactly. they happen.
2: <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> but people, well, when to my we pro football lose, football then, then it happens to us. Yeah. Oh, well, but, yeah, we're almost at that point in the year when everybody starts putting in their four and eight predictions for Syracuse football.
1: Yeah, you know, I haven't seen as many, though. I I almost considered the military bowl matchup with UConn to be the same thing.
2: Yeah, definitely. That was like the, the pity uh, entrant there.
1: Yeah, but yeah, I guess you guys are going to the games. Like, Well, if you look at UConn's schedule and you look at how they've literally recruited worse than just about any program in like the top seven conferences, I mean, they're not making a bowl game. That seems pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, I I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I I talked about it on uh, on NBC Sports their uh, their Notre Dame blog the other day, um, and I said, you know what? Like, if we won that Notre Dame game, like shit, I'll put us into eight and four, nine and three. <laughs> like, it seems insane. Considering that I, I was there for three of the four Marone years, and not Marone years, the three of the four Greg Robinson years, but to be able to say that eight and four, nine and three is on the table is, is is exciting and horrifying at the same time.
2: Well, here's here's the thing about this season because I think we're all looking around at each other and saying, you know, we can go eight and four this year, and if things broke right, we could definitely go nine and three. Like we're all looking at each other and saying that. And the scary thing is, usually when we have seasons where we're saying that, that's when the wheels come off. That's when, you know, we start out 5-2 and two and end up 5-7. and seven. And oh. it's, you know, and then we go into the next season with lowered expectations, and then we go to a bowl game. And so that's kind of been our up-and-down thing, it seems like, lately. And so now, you know, we're coming into the season with, I think, mostly pretty heightened expectations, and uh, and I think that's kind of the next step for Syracuse football is to meet and sur- meet or, su- or surpass the previous season uh, on the field. And so, because I don't think we've really done that, uh, you know, we we haven't really followed up a good season with an even better season in a long time. Like we've we, we've hit that plateau of like, all right, we're going to bowl games pretty consistently now, but now how do we take that next step up? And it's funny, you know, obviously everybody looks at the FSU game and the Clemson game, and they're like, oh, we're going to get killed. And you're right, we probably are going to get killed. But every other game, you know, maybe you can say the Notre Dame game is going to be really tough, sure. Um, But everything else, I mean, it's not like any of those teams are world beaters. And so it's just really a question of whether or not we as a program take that step up.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, like, this is weird. Because, I mean, I know you were there during, like, some actual period of success. And for me, like, is watching 11 wins in four years. Like, I mean, this, yeah. this is great. But at the same time, like, I'm definitely, this is the first time for me, like, coming of age as a fan. I was a fan when I was younger, but not to the same level. Like, since since getting on campus in 2006, like, looking at things now, this is the first time where I'm going into a season going, okay, like, we we have the pieces here. We have the schedule in front of us to win eight games, to, you know, actually draw some national attention. And, you know, it, it, in some ways it's scary. I mean, granted, I think I think we would have won nine games in 2012 under different circumstances. Ser- no, 2012? Yeah, 2012. Under different For circumstances. A uh, yeah. Yes under different circumstances that was the right team. All like all the seniors were in place, the coaching staff was in place. It's just the schedule because of West Virginia leaving, because of TCU reneging on the biggie. That's what happens. Unfortunately we were stuck with the murderers rope schedule and it took us a little while to really get out from under ourselves. Like yes that team finished seven and five but like in the regular season. But then you look at yeah. Northwestern game that easily could have gone the other way. You look at yeah. the Rutgers game that easily could have gone the other way. I mean the Minnesota game really wasn't that far off either. Like that team was that team lost five games, but the team could have easily lost two games.
2: Right. Yeah. No, that's true. And and I think that's the thing. It's like we I think we've kind of gotten used to seeing that for a couple seasons where the team either needs Five or six games to get it together, or the wheels come off after five or six games, and so it's just it's just like consistency. I think consistency is the thing we just haven't seen yet. Because like you, you know you alluded to when I, I jumped in in uh, ninety ninety seven was the the ninety seven season. No ninety six season. One of those was was my first ninety six season was my first year, and you know we're coming off a Gator Bowl. Uh, we were nationally ranked. I mean, it was like you didn't even think about it. You're like, yeah, Syracuse is is either nationally ranked or just outside the rankings. Going to a bowl game, that's not even a question. Of course we're going to a bowl game. It, 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 the question is, are we going to win the conference? And it sounds cr- so crazy now, like sitting here in 2014, that that was our mindset. But it totally was. I mean, I, I, it, I'm not joking when I say we went into the 1998 season, like, we, with – dreams of a national title in the back of our mind. And, and um, I, I mean, look, the that Tennessee game ends. Uh, that penalty doesn't get called, and, and who knows where, where that team ends up. So, uh, you know, it's, it's all about expectations, and it's all about kind of the program meeting those expectations. And, and that's where... You know, the disappointment or the excitement comes from, and
1: and I think that's really what it comes down to for this team. I think too, and I mean, and this is like it's the scary part. Ben, like the team seems to seems to do better when nothing's expected of them. Yes, and I think that 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 that's that's going to be the issue. Is that if we start off, we could potentially start off four and one, five and one. Like, and, and if we start that way, and we start getting, you know, also if we start getting votes in the polls, how does this team respond when this program really hasn't dealt with that? Um, I mean, you know, people are looking at this Louisville game, and everyone seems to forget that two years ago we beat a much better Louisville team in Syracuse, and I have no, I have oddly very little doubt that we'll be able to do so again. Like people forget that, yeah, you know. Stephon Diggs and uh, Dion Long aren't the only players on Maryland, and we handled them pretty well last year. And to me, I just keep looking over game after game. I mean, Duke was very good last year. They were also very lucky. They played in a lot of one possession games, like this and played team, a very
2: weak schedule.
1: Yeah, The team, the Syracuse team, has an ability to surprise the hell out of a lot of people. The problem is, like. If they surprise too many people, what happens if if we start getting all the attention? Does this team crumble under that? Can this fan base even take that? Because, I mean, we're, we're I think we're a pretty active, lively group as the ACC, for better or for worse, learned last year. And that we're going to be talking whether we're winning or losing. Yeah. And I think it's, it's going to be... In a weird way, we us. talk
2: more when we're losing.
1: Yeah, I've never... I mean, I'm a glutton for punishment, personally. Um, <laughs> that uh, breaking down the Georgia Tech and Florida State games a second time is just not, not an ideal situation.
2: No, but here's the here's the good news as far as like us like expectations raising. The reason it's only Syracuse fans who are saying this about Syracuse that everyone else is going to be saying like four and eight, five and seven is because national audiences only know us from. The Florida State game, the Clemson game, and the Georgia Tech game. That's what they remember about last year. And in all those were the three worst games we played. We just got absolutely obliterated in all of them. And so that's what everybody thinks of when they think of Syracuse football. They're, all, they, they're like, oh, we hear Syracuse is coming back around. Nope, they just got beat 56-3. to uh, And so whatever. But they're not really paying attention to the progression of the of the season and how people are improving and Terrell Ty, Hunt's coming back and the coaching staff is more secure and and all that stuff. So um I think even if we do start four um obviously people will be aware of that, but I could totally see us still like I could see us being 5 and 1 and not getting any votes, you know, or maybe getting like a couple votes here and there, but nothing close to being ranked. Um and, you know, and then maybe when we play, unfortunately, you know, FSU and Clemson, whatever hype was building up will go away again. And then um, and then we can build up, you know, un- under the guise of, uh it's the same old Syracuse. And, you know, people can think that. And meanwhile, we'll finish eight and four. And, um, you know, eventually I think we have to win one of those games. We You know, we have to win a MetLife game. We have to somehow beat. Clemson or Florida State, if we want to take that next step. I don't really know how that happens, but, um, you know, it's college football. Weirder things have happened.
1: It's it's true. I mean, you know, every, I mean, I've been reading all of Bill Connolly's previews um, since, you know, like March, as I'm sure a lot of other people have. And it's interesting, like, as he talks about, and he hasn't even gotten to Syracuse yet, but talking about teams that, that, either sit around at the six-win mark or sit around at the eight-win mark, and it, it is funny how your mindset changes. It is funny, like, what what switch means to get flipped. You look at, I mean, I think a prime case study in that Northwestern last year, it looked like they were finally going to break through. It's like they were knocking on the door, knocking on the door for year after year. Um, same coach, same general system, and then injuries hit, the bottom fell out, and now everyone's back to thinking Northwestern sucks. And after season after season of really good
2: football. And, you know, it goes back to I was something I was saying about BYU and the whole thing about how the power conferences aren't going to play BYU because they don't consider it a valuable game. Because that's the perception. It doesn't matter how good BYU actually is. They are perceived to be a second-tier program because they were in the Mountain West and because, uh, you know, they're, they win eight games every year instead of ten. Um, and so, as much as they're a quality program, and could probably say they are uh, closer to Notre Dame uh, than people think they are in terms of uh, quality over the last decade, um, you know the perception is BYU is this certain thing that's not good enough, and so no one will schedule BYU because it doesn't really count. Even, and, but they also recognize that BYU could beat them, uh, and so why take a chance on scheduling them? For a game that's not going to count that much, that you might lose, and you're probably going to have to give up a, a go play in Provo, Utah, where you probably don't have any recruiting base. And so, um, so yeah, and, and and I think that goes back to what you're saying about Northwestern. And it goes back to Syracuse. You know, the effects of the Greg Robinson era will be felt for a long time until the entire identity of the Syracuse football program changes.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I'm not delusional to think that we're a playoff team, but at the same time, like, you know, Scott Schaefer seems to think that, that we can get there eventually, but we got to build, you know, brick by brick. And, and yeah, if we start, like, the problem with the schools like Duke and Northwestern and Vanderbilt, like, using some of our, you know, private school peers who, who are not USC or Miami or TCU, who, like, See, seeing those schools knock on the door but never get above, like, that 15 mark or so. Yeah. that's I think that, that's a perfect, like, way to look at our, our own struggle. And I think, to be honest, we're, we're geographically located in, in a worse spot, too. So So Absolutely. that's, that's going to be an issue for us. But if we can get into that top ten conversation, if you see the, the college football playoff committee start releasing, like, top 16 or 20, whatever they're going to do, Rankings and, and where in them, I, I think that's when things start to adjust, and it can't just be once. You know, it's got to be over and over. Um, and but like you said, it, it, it the, that has to include like we can't go ten and two, but the two losses were to Clemson and Florida State.
2: Or we can't go ten and two and then follow it up with a five and seven season.
1: Also true. Yeah, which which I guess is the challenge now is we can string together a third straight we can bring together a third straight bowl season and play in a game that is not the pinstripe bowl.
2: Yeah. Play in a a, a Southeastern bowl game.
1: Yeah. Like anywhere where people who actually care about college football would be. Right. And the people that actually care about Syracuse football at the same time, like the belt Bowl, would be perfect. Yeah. We have, yeah, exactly. Plus, I'll be in North Carolina for December, so I'd love to go. Nah. Uh,
2: <laughs> bulk bowl the for John. That's the new hashtag. Podcast.
1: We tried it last year; it didn't work. Damn you, <laughs> Poinsettia Bowl! <laughs> so that's my new thing. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start going places where Syracuse sports should be playing in the postseason. Maybe playing. If they're not there, maybe playing in bulk. You know, I. I had to my bets on the final four last year. got burned. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just going to start showing yeah. up places, uh, and hopefully SU just materializes.
2: Or just stay in L.A. and just assume that we're going to the Rose Bowl somehow.
1: The Rose Bowl, the – well, there's the Rose Bowl, the holiday bowl. And the playoff. The bowl, the bowl of the bowls I could get to. Rose Bowl, the holiday bowl, the Poinsettia bowl. The uh Do they still
2: play the San Francisco
1: also... one? Uh eh, so I don't want to go up there. <laughs> yeah. The uh what's the the it Get to Vegas. I don't to watch it get destroyed by Boise State. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then they, yeah, they I mean the Christmas Bowl I think is a go, isn't it? In the Coliseum, like Christmas Eve. I think so.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, and that's like I think I think that's mountain west. I think that's Mountain West Pac-12. So I doubt which was always crazy that. to me that LA didn't have more bowl games. It's just cause it's weird. Like I've tried to explain. I talk to people about this. Like people just have better things to do here, and traffic is just such a prohibitive thing. Where oh, everyone I agree. just like LA
2: is. LA is so fickle about sports. They, they just unless it's the Lakers are winning or the Dodgers are winning, they do not care.
1: I mean the Kings are The Kings are in their probably Greatest stretch in like Franchise history and And it's still pretty Easy to get to a game Even the Clippers yeah. like It was even the Clippers like it's, it's still Like a reasonable ticket um, I know I can get to UCLA games for Pretty sta- Like I, I wouldn't say like a ridiculously Cheap price but I mean, going to the Rose Bowl in general is just a great experience, despite the
2: seats yeah. being too small. There's a reason that they still don't have a football team, a pro team there. I mean, I can't imagine another major market like New York or Chicago going this long without a football team. It just wouldn't, like, people would just would not stand for it. But L.A., it's not that, I don't know, like, you know, you know, uh, just as well, People in L.A. just – I think you you said it best. They, they've got so many other things to do. It's fine if you're not going to offer that one thing.
1: Yeah, like, you know, you don't really hear, like, an uprising people, like, saying we need a team. Now, granted, like, no. if, if the Rams if the Rams moved back and they put the stadium in Englewood over by the forum where they were talking about, like, I'd probably be a season ticket holder because they're actually putting public transportation in the city. And we're actually going to have light rail and the whole deal now. But at the same time, like, if they don't, they don't. <laughs> like, I'm not really going to get that bent out of shape about it because, to be honest, like, if I have to choose between sitting on my couch all day Saturday or sitting on my couch all day Saturday and then trying to convince my wife to go to a game all day Sunday, I think I'd rather just sit on my couch all day Saturday <laughs> and just hedge, by, hedge my bets on one day.
2: Yeah. Anyway, I think we've uh, we've exhausted the – we've gone over the threshold.
1: (laughs) I think we have, but you know what? I mean, we're assuming that people stuck around past the first 40 minutes to get to this.
2: (laughs) I think it will probably be a good idea to put some sort of note in the post, like here's where we start talking about Syracuse.
1: I think I'm going to make sure to put a Syracuse something photo – on the post versus what I was originally <laughs> yeah. going to go with because no one's clicking through with the Bachelorette.
2: Just Jen Voss. Shout out to Jen who demanded that we talk Bachelorette.
1: For you, Jen, we, uh, we did 40 straight minutes of it. So <laughs> if that's my caring about the reader base. I don't know what it is. That's right. All right. Well, in that case, uh, Sean, hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend.
2: Yeah, you too.
1: And everybody else listening, hope you do as well. I'm John. That's Sean. Uh, please subscribe Hi. to uh, True News and Absolute Podcast on iTunes, or go check it out on Blog Talk and listen to it on the blog, and all the other things you can do with the podcast.
2: And uh, if you've got the time, rate and review it on iTunes. That uh, that weirdly helps get it out there to more people who may enjoy bachelorette slash syracuse podcasts
1: indeed thanks everybody
2: bye
0: at jared we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared you'll still want them to know how much you care Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.